0: Well, uh, today, not tomorrow, today, tomorrow has enough worries of its own. We'll get to that later on. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that is universal. No matter how old you are, how how young you are, educated, uneducated, you are rich, poor, everybody in this room to some degree or another deals with worry. Deals with worry. Now, I know there's some personalities and there's even some some of us the way that that we're just wired genetically, like we worry a little more than others. But everybody struggles from time to time with worry. And I love that Jesus has something to say about this. So we're going to be looking today in Matthew chapter 6. And in a moment, we'll be starting in verse 25. So I'm going to give you plenty of time to get there. Matthew chapter 6. Beginning with verse 25, and before we get to that passage, I just wanted to read to you, I was reading a book, this is a number of years ago, and I, and I saw this paragraph, and I just thought, man, this is like me. This is my life, and so as you're turning to Matthew 6, verse 25, I just wanted to read this quote. This is from Lynn Twist. She says, for me and for many of us, our first waking thought of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. The next one is, I don't have enough time. Whether true or not, that thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even think to question or examine it. We spend most of the hours and days of our lives hearing, explaining, complaining, or worrying about what we don't have enough of. Before we even sit up in bed, before our feet touch the floor, we're already inadequate already behind, already losing, already lacking something. And by the time we go to bed at night, our minds are racing with a litany of what we didn't get or didn't get done that day. We go to sleep burdened by those thoughts and wake up to that reverie of lack, this internal condition of scarcity, this mindset of scarcity lives at the very heart of our jealousies, our greed, our prejudice, and our arguments with life. And I I think this is such an important thing. Some of you didn't even hear what I just read because you're worrying about a conversation you had earlier. You're worrying, how do I look? You're worrying, did anybody see the hole in my pants? Like we worry about everything, don't we? We worry about so much. And thankfully Jesus does speak to this issue. So hopefully you're now in Matthew chapter six, verse twenty-five. And let's just get into this. We're gonna be our whole time is gonna be in this passage. So if I stop, just don't don't close up your Bible or don't close up the app. Matthew 6, 25, Jesus starts by saying, that is why I tell you. And so I I already have to pause here. That is why I tell you. Some of your translations say, therefore, I tell you. So what has he just got done saying? I want to remind you of what he just got done saying. Jesus just got done telling us not to store up treasures on earth because storing up treasures on earth, I mean, it's going to decay. It's going to rust, right? He says, instead, your preoccupation of your mind, your focus, your ambition should be to store up treasures in heaven where they do not rust, they do not get destroyed, where there's eternal things. And so we talked last week about pursuing eternal things like the word of God in the souls of men, right? Like making that a preoccupation. And then he ends that section that we looked at last week by saying, listen, you can't serve two masters, You're going to to love one, you're going to despise the other. You cannot serve both God, and then he uses a, a word called mammon. We translate it money, but it's really anything that I pursue that consumes my life. He says, you can't pursue both God and stuff, materialism. And then right after that, the very next verse is, that is why I tell you, or therefore I tell you, and this is what we're about to look at. He says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. You don't need to worry about whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Now, now we, can, we look at what Jesus has to say in the lenses of 2023 and we go, well, I wish my worry was about that. But listen, 2,000 years ago in the ancient world, you worried about what to eat. There was no Kroger or Aldi. There was no super value, you know, uh, or Miller's super value. Like, there, there, like, like if you're going to eat something, you either had to kill it and cook it or you had to go out and farm it and, and harvest it and grind it and, and like cook it. Like, I mean, there's just so much that was involved. And so there was, it was a legitimate worry. What are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? It wasn't like they were looking at closets full of clothes, like, oh man, does this look good? Does this match? Is this trendy? You know, for them it was literally, do we have something to wear today, right? And Jesus says, listen, this is not your heavenly father's intent that you would live life in this constant state of worrying about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. And this really is a question of do I trust God? Do I trust him? Do I believe that life is more than what I see or feel or touch? Do I believe that God is the author of it all and that he will take care of me? Next, Jesus gives several illustrations just to kind of make this clear. He says, beginning in verse 26, he says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Think about it. I mean, there are millions and millions of birds. And for the most part, they are healthy and happy, right? You don't see birds suffering from hypertension or stress-related diseases. God takes care of them. He takes care of them. Jesus goes on. He says, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And what's the answer to that? No. All of my worrying, all of this, you know, this soundtrack that's just on auto-repeat in my brain, right? Like all of that. Does that add anything to my life? No, it actually detracts. It actually subtracts. Worrying about something that hasn't happened yet doesn't help with today, and it certainly doesn't help with tomorrow. It robs me. Lack of sleep, lack of appetite. It actually robs me of tomorrow. Jesus goes on in verse 28 and he gives a second illustration of God's care. He says, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Did you catch that? He will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Can I just tell you, I'm not here going, yeah, what's what's up with you guys, all right? I've got this all figured out and you guys don't. Like, I'm, here, I'm a fellow struggler in the issue of worry. My predisposition, I have a melancholy type of personality. And so, in fact, growing up, my, my uh, family used to call me Worried Walrus. There was a kid's book series that were called The Sweet Pickles and one of the characters was this character named Worried Walrus. And uh, I still worry about the implications of being called that growing up. Like, still worry about that, right? Like, I, I, well, I'm reading this and I'm just going, okay, Jesus, that, that's great. This is a struggle, right? And for some of you in this room, it's, it's even, I mean, it's even beyond that because there's even hormonal issues, there's chemical issues and that, that, that contribute to that and, and, and cause this anxiety, right? This fierce anxiety. And so what I want you to know is what we're gonna look at today, I believe this is especially helpful for followers of Jesus, but I don't want to at all diminish or, or, or poo-poo what you're going through, right? So, so I think as Jesus goes on that he does give us some help here. He does give us some help when it comes to worry. This, there's, there's three things that we need to think about. The first one that we need to think about, when you're in this place of worry, especially just worry, when you're in this place of worry, think about, number one, who God is. When I'm in this place of worry... I need to first of all think about who God is. If you're in the back, you probably can't read that, which means next week you just need to move closer, right? <laughs> no. that what I wrote up here is just God. What do you think about God? When you think about God, what are the thoughts that you have about God? How do you see God? How do you view him? I'm telling you, when it comes to worry, what I think about God is so important. Who is God to me? Who do I think he is? Jesus says in verse 31, he says, so do not worry about these things. Again, and he repeats this, saying what we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? Because those were big deals. He says, these things, these worries, dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows. There's several things that are going on, especially in verse 32. First of all, what I am worrying about right now, or what you are worrying about right now, here's what you need to realize. God already knows it. Listen, he sees you. He sees you. And he loves you. And he sees you. This isn't like a creepy, like he sees you. Like he knows when you've been good or bad. So be good for goodness sake, right? What a horrible Christmas song, right? Most Christmas songs are, by the way, but horrible. Um, Is there an amen in the house? There are a few amens. There were a few amens, Carrie. Um, God, God sees you, but it's not a creepy sees you. It's a compassionate sees you. God sees you. He sees what you're struggling with. He sees the chaos that is swirling around you. He sees the issues. He sees the, the worry and the struggles and the insecurities and the fears. And He knows those things and He loves you. And what I think about God when I'm worrying is so significant. How do I view him in those moments? But there's a second thing that's going on in verse 32. See, for thousands of years, there's Jewish people. And when Jesus is preaching in Matthew chapter 5, the sermon actually began in Matthew chapter 5 verse 1. It goes all the way through the end of chapter 7. When he's preaching and he's saying these words that we're reading today, he's speaking to an exclusively Jewish audience. And these Jewish men and these Jewish women, they knew about God. They knew about God. They had memorized much of the Old Testament. They would sing it. They would, when they would walk and journey from place to place, they would repeat it together. They would have whole chapters of the Bible that would be memorized. And so they knew God, but God, but but Jesus is now helping them to understand God in a way that they never had before. See, the Old Testament concept of God was it that God is powerful and God is mighty and God is strong. But here's the part that they didn't always get in the Old Testament, that God is also approachable. See, the Old Testament, there was this idea that God was approachable maybe for a few elite individuals like Moses, or like King David, or like Elijah. But for the common people, the average, ordinary, working class individuals, you you wondered, like, okay, God, I know you're good, I know you're great. I don't know if you're like here. I don't know if you could give a flying rip about me. And Jesus gives them a category to start thinking about God. And this category does exist. I want to be fair. There are a few verses in the Old Testament that refer to God in this way. But I think at the most, there's like a handful. Jesus now over and over and over again, begins to introduce God as father. Do you see what he says there? He says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly, what's the word there? Your heavenly what? Father already knows all your needs. This is huge. Don't miss this. Jesus says, yes, God is Elohim. Yes, God is Adonai. Yes, he is Yahweh. But yes, God is also Abba, Papa, Daddy, Father. I got to take a minute here because I know that this isn't necessarily good news for everybody in the room. Okay, the disclaimer is this. Some of you grew up and you go, that doesn't help me. Because father isn't a warm and fuzzy word for me. I never knew my dad. Or some of you, your dad, you, you knew him, but, but he was never there. He was never present. Maybe, maybe at worst, he was abusive. And so when you think, okay, that doesn't help me, Ken, that God is father. Like, that That doesn't do anything for me. Can I just, and I, I know I've, I've said this before at Journey, but Can you just take a minute to think of maybe growing up, you had a friend who had a dad. That you were like, man, I wish wish my dad was like Johnny's dad. Or I wish my dad was like Linda's dad. Like, do you have a category of what a good dad would be? What you wish that your dad would have been? Do Do you have that category? Do you have that thought? Like, what would that look like? It would be someone who loved you. It would be someone who was close to you. It would be someone that when you were little, that you could walk in the shadow and, and follow closely and, and watch what they were doing and, and they would be glad to have you right next to them. It's someone who would provide. Someone that when you, were, when you were down, that he would pick you up and, 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 and even be a healer to you. Someone who would make sure that you never lacked in anything that you actually needed. Someone who would have wisdom for you in difficult moments when you didn't know where to go, that they would have advice and, and discernment for you. Someone, I mean, think, think about what, this is what Jesus is saying. You can think of God, not just as out there and distant, but now you can begin to refer to God, the creator, the everlasting, eternal creator of the heavens and the earth. You can begin to think of him as our father, right? Right? Now, what does this do for worry? Some of you are like, I thought we were talking about worry. What does this do? When I start thinking about God rightly, it has a way. And I'm not saying across the board and there's medical issues and chemical, I get all that. But I'm saying in in many areas of worry, when I begin to focus rightly on who God is, it causes so much of that stuff just to dissipate, doesn't it? What do I think about God? How do I think about him? I, I, I put the word God up here, but I, w- I wanna put a second word. For those of you in the back, this is the word me. See, I would submit to you that the distance between God and me is super important. The further I feel from God, the further I am away from God, the more that worry will be crippling. And again, I'm not talking about depression. I'm not talking about, uh, uh, you know, like an anxiety that is diagnosed and all that. I'm just talking about just normal, everyday, like worry. The, The further I am from God, the more consequential that worry is. The closer I am to God, the more that I have at least hope. I have trust. I know that God is with me. I know that God is for me. I know that God loves me. That he's not just out there, that he's closer than my breath. So the, the first thing when it comes to, to worry is that I need to think, what am I thinking about God? Who is God? The second thing that I need to think about is how do I seek God? How do I move closer to God? In fact, Jesus says next in Matthew six thirty three, he says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need seek this word seek means to aim at and to strive after donald stamps puts it this way says the verb seek implies being continually absorbed in a search for something or making a strenuous and diligent effort to obtain something like this isn't seek like like you know did you ever play hide and seek growing up and you played with a friend who was just lazy (laughs) did you ever play hide and seek with a lazy friend I like the moment that you would come up with like a really good hiding place, like they just, they just like after, I mean, it'd be like seconds. Oh, I give up. I'm leaving, Ken, wherever you are, good luck, I'm leaving. And you're like, you're a lazy friend. Come on, I put some work into this hiding place, right? like in a good game of hide and seek i mean you're 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 looking everywhere in every corner you're you're moving stuff out of the way you're looking under like you're looking man is there any way he crawled up and somehow hanging off up there like like i mean you're like when he says seek the kingdom of god and the righteousness of god above all else this is not just a little like lazy thing this is effort so If there's distance between me and God, you know whose fault it is? It's mine. How do I, what are the steps that I need to take to move toward God? To move toward him? And you say, Ken, where do you get this from? Well, he says, first of all, seek the kingdom. When I was growing up, I had a pastor who would say, every time you see the word kingdom, especially in the New Testament, and it's talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, he said, you should should just insert the rule of God or the reign of God. So when he says, you know, but seek first the kingdom of God, that would be the rule of God and the reign of God. And then a couple years ago, I heard a speaker, and I honestly don't remember who it was. But he said, he said this, and it was just kind of a throwaway line that it stuck with me. And you've heard me say this before. He said, a kingdom without a king is just what? Dumb. And and here's what he was saying, when you think about the kingdom of God, yeah, you should think about the rule of God and the reign of God, that's part of it, absolutely, but you should also think about the presence of God. The kingdom of God is the presence of God. It's the rule of God, it's the reign of God. And so what I'm doing is I'm saying, God, I want to seek above all else, I want your presence. I want your presence. I want your rule. I want your reign. I want to do what you want me to do. This is why it was so powerful a couple weeks ago when, when Chuck Schouder, who who passed away the same day that he did this in a service, he stood up and he quoted from 2 Chronicles 7:14 that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and what's the third thing there? And seek my face. You know what seek my faces. is it's seeking the presence of God it's prioritizing the presence of God and then the rest of it is turned from your wicked ways right which is saying I want your rule and your reign I want to do what you want me to do and I want to stay away from the things that you don't want me to do listen when I seek the kingdom of God it brings me closer and worry evaporates he said not just seek the, the kingdom of God in Matthew 6.33, but he says seek, uh, what's the second word there in Matthew 6.33 that we're supposed to seek? His what? Righteousness. righteousness. Would you say that with me? His righteousness. What in the world is that? That's a Christian word we use in church, but we don't really know what it means, right? Righteousness is a, it's a, it's a, it's a coin with two sides to it. One side of the coin is I be right. Would you say that with me? I be right. Okay, now that you know what you're supposed to say, let's say it again. I be right. I be right. I be right. This is just positional. This is Jesus came and he died on the cross to take upon himself the curse of my sin. He became my substitutionary atonement. Jesus took my punishment, the punishment that I deserved, because of abandoning him and thinking that my way is better and because of my jealousies and my selfishness and my greed and my unbelief and my idolatry, like Jesus took all of the punishment that I deserve upon himself. And in the moment that I humbled myself and I said, Jesus, I've sinned against you. Would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? In that moment, the word of God says that I'm justified in the eyes of God and legally he no longer sees my own righteousness which is his filthy rags according to Isaiah but I now am wearing the righteousness of who? Jesus. God the Father sees me not in my own righteousness. He sees me covered in the righteousness of God. This is a positional righteousness. It means I be right. Say that again, I be right, I be right. The other side of the coin though is I do right, right? Like I be right, that's who I am and since that's who I am, I need to start living that out. What does it mean to do right? It means whatever God puts in front of me that is right, I, yeah, it's not rocket science. And anything that's put in front of me that is not of God, I don't do, right? So I seek the presence of God, his kingdom, his rule, his reign, and I seek to be right, which I I don't have to do that. He did that for me on the cross. I be right. But I also have to seek to do right. That's part of seeking righteousness, right? And as I do that, this, this distance begins to close. Isn't that awesome how he does that? And so I need to think about what I think about God. I need to think about how to seek God. And a part of this, I just wanna say real quickly, isn't just what I think about God, it's now thinking about myself the way that God thinks about me. See, this helps with the worry. We went through a season, Carrie and I went through a season, this was years ago, and I remember just, I just, battling so many insecurities. I know you're looking at me like, you? (laughs) Yeah, we all do to a degree or another, don't we? And Carrie did something that was so helpful she, she, she had a cricket machine, and she, she put these things on, on the wall of our bedroom wall. And I took a picture of this last night because I wanted to put this up there. And um, this has been up there for years. So letters are coming off. and it's, it's, But this is what I wake up to every day. Every day. I, a guy who's been a pastor now in January, it would be 25 years that I've, been, that I've been pastoring. Hi, my name is Pastor Ken, and I need this every day when I wake up. And so if you can't read it, it just says in Christ, and then it's from Ephesians 1, 3 through 8. These are just what what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 of who we are in Christ, that I am blessed, I am loved, I am chosen, I am set apart, I'm without fault, I'm adopted as his own, I'm soaked in grace, I'm redeemed, I'm completely pardoned, I'm lavish with wisdom. This is who I am in Christ. That's who I am, that's who you, if you are in Christ... That's who you are. And so again, what it does is as I begin to repeat who God is and I'm thinking about God right and I'm moving toward God, I'm seeking him, I'm seeking his kingdom, I'm seeking his righteousness, I'm reminding myself of who I am in Christ. I'm not gonna believe the lies of Satan anymore. This is who I am. I'm not who you tell me I am. This is who I am. I move move closer and there's no room for the worry. Third is think about what is needed. I love what Jesus says just to kind of end this whole section in verse 34. And this is just so, Jesus just speaks truth. He says, So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Oh, you didn't have to say that, Jesus. Right? Like, thanks a lot. And then he just keeps it real. He says, Today's trouble is enough for today. Today's trouble is enough for today. I can't do anything about yesterday. Turn to the person next to you and say, you can't do anything about yesterday. Listen, this is so freeing, isn't it? I can't do anything about yesterday. Okay, here's the only thing I can do about yesterday. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. Maybe in some instances where, and and you have to be careful and have discernment, maybe I can go and I can try to make amends, okay? But that's it. I can't physically go back in time and do anything about yesterday. I can't go back and rewind the words that were said, the actions that were committed. I can't do anything about yesterday, but I have today. And if I'm spending my time so absorbed with yesterday, it's like driving. You don't drive through the rearview mirror. You'll, You'll ruin all kinds of people's lives. I drive looking through the windshield. I don't drive looking through the rearview mirror. And so many people, the reason why their lives are consumed with worry, I'm not saying for everybody, some people, the reason why your lives are consumed with worry is you're you're so you're so present in yesterday. Some of you need to forgive yourself. God has forgiven you. Amen. To receive that forgiveness for yourself. See, Thank you, God. Today, I receive your forgiveness. Today, I receive your love. That you love me. You're not against me. You're for me. I was talking to a friend a couple weeks ago, and he, he'd just been through it. And honestly, a lot of what he'd been through was his own fault. We we're talking, we're sitting at Chipotle, very spiritual place to, <laughs> to sit we're having this conversation and, and he, he just kind of looked at me and I, I don't know if I said it or if he said it first, but I said, you know what? You just need to win today. You just need to win today. Isn't this what Jesus, Jesus is just saying, listen, you can't do anything about yesterday and listen, tomorrow, it's got enough. Don't even think about tomorrow. That'll get you down. Just win today. Win today. What can you do today to win today? I was thinking about some of the things that I do when I'm just overwhelmed with worry. Number one, I write down what is overwhelming me. Now, this is my personality. Maybe for your personality, it's a different. Maybe for you, your personality is to go for a walk and just express it out loud. Some of you are just verbal. And, and even if you don't have someone around you, you just need to out loud. Just, and what I do, if something is consuming, I can't keep it up here. As long as it's up here, it just goes in loop and it always seems way more, I over catastrophize it. Is that even a word? I don't know. I do. I just over, I, I make it way bigger than it is. I have to get it out of here and get it onto paper. That's how it works for me. I don't know how it works for you, but you've got to get it out of here and somehow get it down. And then I asked the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit, Jesus said he's your paraclete which means he's your comforter and your counselor. I say, Holy Spirit, thank you that you're in me and with me. Would you show me what are the steps I need to take? This seems too big for me. I don't know how I'm gonna get through. Would you show me the steps that I need to take here? And here's a here's big one. Ask for help. I, I, can't, I can't tell you how big this is. Ask for help. Often I'm worrying about something that somebody else could actually help me with. And here's a crazy thing, and this took me a long time to get. Often I'm worrying about something that not only can somebody help me with, but that it would be a gift for them to help me with it. Because it's their strength. It's what they like to do. I asked this question in the first service and I'm interested in the second service. How many of you like to organize and administrate things? You love Excel documents. Raise your hand. There are weirdos in this service too, right? Like, oh my goodness, right? Listen, I'm telling you, sometimes we think to ourselves, well, I can't ask for help because that would inconvenience somebody else. When actually somebody else has the strengths to come alongside you and would love to, like that's their sweet spot. That's where they come alive when they do those things. Like ask for help, ask for help. Here's the thing, guys, we need each other. I I hope you understand, Jesus physically is at the right hand of the Father. After his death and resurrection, he ascended to the Father, and scripture tells us that he is physically at the right hand of the Father. What is the body of Christ here on earth today? It's not a building. It's us, it's, Paul uses the, the, the two words over and over again through the epistles. It's one another. Yes. The body of Christ today, right here on planet Earth, is one another. It's us. And some of you, your worry isn't just a insignificant, um, you know, did someone notice I have a hole in my pants. For you, it's a worry that is so weighty. Can I just help you? It's okay to ask for help. In fact, it's not only okay for you to ask for help, it is wise for you to ask for help. There's so many Proverbs, so much in scripture that talks about one another. Jesus never sent people out alone. He always sent them in groups of two because we need each other. I have weaknesses that I need your strengths. And you have weaknesses where you need my strengths. I don't I think I just said the same thing. Oh, sorry. We need each other. Ask for help. Listen, it's okay to talk to a counselor. Everybody just look at me for a second. It's okay to tell your doctor what you're feeling. You're not less spiritual. To say, I need help. This is what I'm feeling. Some of you are struggling with with weight that is way beyond you and you don't need to struggle with that by yourself. If you feel hopeless, if you wonder if you should even keep living, that's a weight way too big to bear alone. Ask for help. Tell somebody what you're feeling. Can we just get rid of the shame that we've all got to walk with capes on and latex pants, because that's just gross anyhow. <laughs> right? You don't need to be a superhero. <laughs> in, all, in all things, Jesus is our example. Here's the a, here's a crazy one. Think about Jesus. He knew the cross was before him. What I mean by that is, this wasn't something that Jesus just went one day was like, Oh, snap, that's what this Messiah thing is all about? Like, I don't think I want to, I mean, he did get to the place where he was like, I'd rather there be a plan B. But he knew long before that, and we know that because he was telling his disciples. He told them, he'd say, I'm gonna suffer. They're gonna beat me. He even told them a, a few times, specifically, they're gonna crucify me. And his disciples just had no category for understanding all this. But think about this, Jesus knew that the cross was in front of him. And yet, he didn't allow a preoccupation with the cross to interfere with his day-to-day relationships and pursuits. Whoo! I would be good for nothing. I'd be good for. I wouldn't be doing any good. I wouldn't be paying attention to average needs that are around me. I'd be like, let's just get to Jerusalem and get this thing over with, right? He didn't worry about the negative responses of the religious leaders around him. He wasn't preoccupied. He didn't, he didn't live as like, well, what did so-and-so say about me? Isn't that amazing? He lived with an understanding of the unique opportunity that the Father was giving him today. And then, and then, literally, he's at the cross, spikes are being driven into his wrists and his feet. And even in that moment, Jesus isn't preoccupied with all that's going on. Like, like, what is he talking about on the cross? Somebody needs to take care of my mama. John, she's now your mama. What what else is he saying? Father, forgive them. Now, the Greek implies that Jesus didn't just say this once as if to check something off the prophetic to-do list. Okay, I got to be really super moral as I'm dying here. So I'm going to say this thing and let's get it over. The Greek implies that Jesus is saying this over and over again. As they're pounding spikes, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. What does he think about in that moment? He's thinking of God as Father. Father, forgive them. And instead of distancing himself from the father, he's speaking to the father. He's crying out to the father. Even when he feels the worst, even when he feels totally abandoned, who is he still crying out to? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like he's still, he's still moving, even in the place of feeling utterly abandoned, he's still crying out. In the darkest day the world has ever known, Jesus won the day. I'm not belittling what you're going through. And listen, he's Jesus, but he's our example. He's the one that we can strive to follow. And so I don't know about you, I need his help. I need the Holy Spirit. When I'm worrying, and this is, I'm preaching to myself today, okay? That's why you're like, man, he's really spitting a lot today. He's really, I, I need this. I need to think about God. What am I thinking about? What are the thoughts? Is the enemy getting in my mind and causing me to think wrong thoughts about God? He can't be trusted. He's holding out on me. He doesn't really love me. Am I thinking the right things about God? Am I seeking him? How am I seeking him? I need to think about how I'm going to th- seek him. And what, what am I doing with today? What am I doing about the issues that, that are here today that I, got, I can't worry about tomorrow, can't do anything about yesterday? What am I doing about today? Writing those things down, asking for help. Would you stand this morning? Listen, I want to acknowledge before, before we move for some of you, the worry is so weighty. It's so exhaustive. It's so heavy. Please, please, please ask somebody for help this week. Find a trusted, mature Christian friend and just tell them, man, I, I can't do this. And if you're, if you're the person that God uses that somebody comes to you, can I just tell you what to do real quick? This wasn't part of our notes. Just listen. Listen love them be present and then when they're done talking just say do you want me to help you sometimes the help is i just needed to get this off my chest and now i feel better and sometimes it is no i need to know who to call will you go with me will you walk this with me right would you just close your eyes and bow your heads I'm going to do something that is counterintuitive because if you're here and you're worrying, you're going to worry about this, but that's all right. I'll tell you in the first service, I was blown away by the response. So maybe that'll help you and give you the courage that you need. We're not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. But if you're here today and you say, Ken, this, this, strikes, this strikes close to home. I, I am struggling with worry. I'm struggling with anxiety. I need God to do something inside of me. If that's you, we're not gonna call you out. In fact, would you just keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed? I I don't want anyone to feel embarrassment or shame in this, but if that's you and you just need prayer, would you just raise your hand today? Yeah, same thing, all over the room, all over the room. Yeah, you can lower your hands. Father, I pray for my friends. God, I thank you that you love them. Father, I would just pray right now that you would just rebuke any lies that the enemy has put in our heads. We just pray against that hopelessness, that despair. Father, I pray that you would help individuals this week just to think about how they view you. You you would... Help them think about how am I pursuing God? How am I seeking after him? And then God, I pray that you would help some people to reach out. If the burden is too heavy, that you would show them who to talk to. Father, I pray that you would put healthy and right people around them. In fact, would you, would you just protect their hearts, protect their spirits, that you would only put the right people around them, that they would ask, the, in fact, even put, put faces and names in their heart and their mind, that they would ask the right people for help this week. And God, I just pray your peace. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God that transcends all understanding. God, I pray that right now. The peace of God that is beyond human understanding that even now would guard hearts and would guard minds in Christ Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.